You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Speed to God. Thank you, Shelby. Well, that is a lengthy text, and as Shelby was reading it, I was like, wow, there's a lot here, of course. And, but that's the nature of where we're at in the book of Acts. You just kind of anticipate that as we can kind of continue to move through to chapter 28. We're dealing with some larger chunks of Scripture because we have, what, a story being, being told here, right? It's a story being told, so we, we're kind of moving along with a bunch of details. And you've already seen that in Acts, of course. What's interesting is that as I was reflecting on this particular passage and like how it fits into um, the larger storyline of Acts is here is yet another way to share the gospel. Like just think about this just for a moment. In Acts 2, we have Peter's famous Pentecost sermon. You might remember tongues of fire come down and everyone's like, oh, they're drunk. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 no one's drunk here. I'm actually gonna tell you what's going on. And then he gives this magnificent sermon where he's basically given an apologetic from what? From the Old Testament. He's like, hey guys, read your Old Testament and you would know that this is the Christ and that this moment right now is meaningful and no one's drunk. So we have this expositional sermon almost from the Pentecost sermon. And then we have something similar when we get with Stephen in his speech, again, drawing from the Old Testament. Same thing with Philip when he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's going to Isaiah 53. And then we get to Acts 17. What do we see there? We have Paul engaging with Greek uh, big philosophical thinkers using their poets to talk about Jesus. Just another way to share the gospel. And then we get to a passage like this, Acts 22, a testimony. We commonly call it a testimony, a sharing of your faith. And so today we're going to be talking, and I'm going to be talking a lot about what it means, looking at this particular passage, what it means to give your testimony of faith. And that's important, because if you're a Christian, you have one. You have something to share. You have something to tell. And we see Paul recounting his testimony here. And so we're going to look at some of these details. So let me just pray briefly and then we'll get into this text. Heavenly Father, once again we come, we want to look at your word. It is for us, it's to instruct us. We want to think well from your word about what it means for us to give our own um, testimony of faith to a world that is broken, that is in great need of hearing about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just in these next few minutes, oh God, just help us to think well about what you've already said. Because we know what you've said still is relevant today and impacts our lives. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. At the most recent community group meeting that I attend, uh, we did read this passage and discussed it for quite a while. It was just as long on Wednesday as it was a few minutes ago. Uh, part of our time was spent talking about this idea of a testimony. It was a good discussion. It was a substantive, substantive discussion. We looked at Paul's testimony of faith in this passage, and then we asked, what can we learn about how to share 
our testimony? Like, are there some, are there some tips in here that we can think about, think well about? You know, it's a very practical question, right? It's extremely practical. I want you, I want you to do something. Uh, parents are hopefully communicating to their children the moment God poured his grace and mercy upon mom and dad. Uh, we all want to be sharing what God has done with our lives, with our families, our extended families. Especially as we think about the holidays, right? We're, we're in the throes of the Advent season and some of you, maybe not all, but some of you might be gathering with other people and they might not be Christians. In, the, in a normal year, I would be gathering with, with my family where many are not Christians and we're celebrating something that's very dear to me. <laughs> there's gospel opportunities there. There's testimony, uh, testimony opportunities there. Uh, we want to share with our friends, uh, coworkers, whoever, it is interesting to me how Christians communicate their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. That how, how is it done? When I hear a person's testimony for the first time, I'm always curious about, uh, how, about who is the primary focus of their testimony. <laughs> is a person's story so dramatic that the hearer is utterly, may, utterly amazed that God would save someone who's living for drugs, sex, and rock and roll, right? To what degree, I'm always curious, that God is a part of a person's story of coming to faith. Perhaps, you know, the prospect of sharing about the moment you are saved is confusing, right? I know some people who are just like, I don't even know where to begin, I think this passage can help us. We can ask, what are a few tips or what are some things being emphasized in this passage in which we should consider giving our, our testimony of faith? If Christians are called by God to be ready to share about the hope that is within us, 1 Peter 3.15, we're called to do that, then how do Christians share about that hope? Like we are in the season of peace and hope. How do we share about what we are celebrating? You know, I think a personal testimony is an effective tool in the Christian life. A personal testimony is an opportunity to share with another person about the grace and mercy of God through the atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Testimonies point to the work of God in the life of a Christian. Testimonies highlight a Christian's rebellious past, the cross, and the ongoing work of grace in the present and future of a Christian's life. In the book of Acts, Paul's testimony of faith is actually told three times. Uh, we had it in Acts 9, and in Acts 9, we looked at the particulars of Paul's testimony, really dug into some of the theology. We got it obviously today in Acts 22, where, where I'm really making a push about application. And then we actually see Paul's testimony again in Acts 26. He's given his testimony to the governing authorities. Each recounting of Paul's testimony has a different audience, but the primary focus of the testimony remains constant. It's about Jesus. As it pertains to the testimony here in Acts 22, um, we know Paul gives it while he's in Jerusalem. 
Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem. Paul's desire to be in Jerusalem is in part Jerusalem's strategic and historical importance for Judaism. In Paul's mind, and this is one of the rubs, this is one of the differences between how Paul is thinking about his history and the historical significance of Jerusalem and those he's preaching to. You have to remember, Paul rightly thought that faith in Jesus Christ is the proper outworking and result of Jewish faith explained in the Old Testament. That's why he's there. And the people he's going to be talking to, he's like, uh-uh, that's not what I see. You got something totally new going on. This, in their minds, it's looking a little cultish. And Paul's like, no. This is the natural outworking right here. Jesus. Paul is not teaching something new, but he is plainly sharing what the Bible has already taught. However, the Jews view Jesus as a heretic, and anyone who speaks about the name of Jesus is also a heretic. The reason why Paul's friends pleaded with him to not go to Jerusalem is because the hostility to the gospel message was going to be the strongest in the city of David. Jerusalem is not Ephesus, where a tremendous ministry took off. Jerusalem is not Antioch, which is like the, the evangelical church that sends people out. Jerusalem is not Galatia. Jerusalem is not Athens. Paul going to Jerusalem and sharing the gospel would be like Sean Powers going to Mecca to preach the gospel to a bunch of Muslims. While God can use a testimony of faith to draw anyone to Jesus, there are also a lot of people who are hostile to this message. What I do find fascinating about Paul's testimony is that he sets up his sermon by laying out his credentials. What we read at the end of chapter 21 and moving into chapter 22 is Paul giving his hearers, just want to give you some reasons to listen. You know, this is why I want you to listen to me. Now, there's not a person in this room who has, like, the credentials of Paul. But if you have the opportunity to share your testimony of faith with a friend, your children, coworkers, whoever, you do want to give a reason, like, this is why I want you to tune in. I want you to listen to what I have to say. And that reason could be as simple as you're not the person that you are now, that you were back then. You've been changed because of faith in Christ. We will see Paul's credentials are ridiculously good, right? But do not compare yourself to Paul. The only credential you need to tell another person about the work of God in your life is because of the work of God that has been done in your life. That's the credential you need to share the gospel. Consider this passage from Ephesians 2. Paul, who is going to give his testimony in Acts 22, and we're going to look at that in a moment, he also wrote these words. And you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, this is, this is what you were, Christian, you were a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, perhaps these are some of the most precious words coming next. But God. Why is Paul giving his testimony? But God. What is his underlying credential to give this testimony? But God. But God being rich in mercy, it says in Ephesians 2. But God, because of the great love in which he loved us more in Ephesians 2, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses more in Ephesians 2, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Christian, you have a testimony to give, but God. All Christians have a but God moment. All Christians have a but God story to share. And Paul is sharing his right here. When Paul is allowed to address the Jews at this tribune, he does address them as brothers and fathers, verse 1. Paul's introduction would be similar uh, for me to say, uh, distinguished gentlemen and women. Paul is indicating his respect despite clear differences that are going to emerge. He also mentions that even though he was born in Tarsus, he was actually raised in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he was educated by one of the greatest thinkers of the Pharisaical party of Judaism, Gamaliel. He would have been known by everyone in Jerusalem. <laughs> like this guy would have been one of the goats in Jerusalem. He was a leader of the Sanhedrin in the leading authority of the Jewish law. I think Paul name drops to help establish his authority as he begins to speak. And it worked, at least for a little bit. Paul is about to give his testimony and no one <laughs> saw coming what he is about to say. So, let's ask the question I'm really pushing. What can we learn from this testimony? There's going to be three, I think, helpful or important tips about how you can share your faith. And I want you to note that all three of these insights do not point toward you. They do not point toward you, although you are involved They are not about you. And I'm going to say that over and over. Your testimony is about the Almighty God. How is it that your testimony of faith is all about God? Because of your sinful and rebellious past. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 with me. It says, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest... And the whole council of elders can bear witness. 
So not only is he admitting it, <laughs> this is what I've done, all these folks, <laughs> they know it's true as well. They knew who I was. You don't just need to take my word. Go ask your leaders. So the first important tip for sharing your testimony is to know your past. Paul does not water down the, the cruelty and severity of his past. Paul is unflinching but not proud of his past. He is absolutely complicit in the persecution of Christians. Not only was Paul involved, but he worked in tandem, like I said, with the Jewish authorities to ensure Christians were persecuted and killed. Think Stephen. I mean, talk about a systemic problem within a religious organization, right? From the top down, the Jews saw Christians as a problem and they intended to root them out. Paul was right in the middle of the persecution. Right in the middle. Over um, many years of pastoral ministry, I've had the privilege to hear a lot of testimonies. It's one of the joys of being in pastoral ministries. You get to hear that from people. And I've heard a variety of stories. Even between Sharice and I, we have vastly different testimonies. Um, obviously, I wasn't saved, as you all know, until my 20s. You know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll could be the theme before I was saved. Before the grace of the Holy Spirit moved upon my cold, dead heart. The Lord saved Sharice when she was very young. Some of you may have been saved when you were young and then college kind of happened and then you rededicated your life to Christ. I've heard those stories before. For some of you, you just might have always lived a good moral life. But then you realize being moral doesn't mean you're saved and then you turn to Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that at any moment, God can save anyone if he chooses. I am pointing this out because there's a temptation to look at Paul and be in awe. It's, it's a temptation to look at certain testimonies and place those higher above than other testimonies because of the past. I appreciate what Pastor Derek Thomas says about how we should think about the differences between you know, the salvation of a 30-year-old drug addict versus a 4-year-old child. He says this, it is important for those of us who have been converted later in life to recall what we once were, right? That's what we see here in Acts 22. Just as it is important for those converted in a relative youth or infancy, dude's a Presbyterian here, but you get his point, when they were younger, to imagine what they could have been apart from the grace of God. Like, how do you think I want my kids to grow up like Sean Powers or Sharice? That's an easy answer. It's real easy. Again, here's the point I want to make. It's tempting to read about Paul's past sin and be amazed that God would save him. And we are like in Paul's past with the meth addict that is, that is saved. And yes, it is amazing grace that saved Paul and saves the meth addict as an example. But be sure not to idolize Paul's past sin. Do not compare your past with Paul or the meth addict. 
Because here is the bottom line. Every single human being is born into a world with a predisposition and a nature to rebel against God. Every person born into this world is born into this world wicked. Every person born into this world has sinned against the holy and just God of the universe. Everyone has sinned from the crack or cocaine addict, excuse me, to the four-year-old child. All have sinned, you know the passage, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. All are in need of help. All are in need of a transformed heart. So owning your past, owning it, regardless of the amount of drama because of your sin, right? Or the consequences too, is an acknowledgement. Owning your past is an acknowledgement of your rebellion against God. Now think about what this means for your personal testimony. We live in a world where sin is unacknowledged, but the brokenness abounds. Right? The brokenness abounds, but sin is just unacknowledged. We live in a world that is constantly grasping for the solution for the emptiness that exists in the heart because of sin. Your testimony of a rebellious and broken past is an opportunity to highlight the glorious remedy. So here's the first tip that we see from Acts 22. Your testimony of God's grace and mercy must involve starting about your life before the but God moment. Share that as much as you're comfortable with. Paul did. He shared it. The second tip for sharing your testimony is to proclaim the cross. I'm not going to recount what we already saw from Acts 9, except for Paul's interaction with Ananias here. Take a look at verses 12 to 16. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, so he came to Paul, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Remember he was blind, Damascus Road, Light came down, can't see, and here's Ananias saying, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. See that? The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone, to what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul name drops Ananias and, and explains this part of his testimony because he would have been... That is, Ananias would have been a respected leader and the Jews listening in would have been like, ah, I know that guy. Paul is not only giving a testimony about how God saved him while on the road to Damascus, but Ananias affirms what God had done in Paul. It is Ananias who sits with Paul and, and tells him about Christ. And this, is, and this is not a picture of the body of Christ and how it's supposed to function. Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus. 
whole thing happens with the light. He can't see. He goes to Ananias. Ananias comes to him when he gets to Damascus. And then when they just talk, I, I picture Ananias and Paul sitting across from one another at a table with Paul asking questions and Ananias providing gospel truth for Paul. And you know, each Christian in this room has opportunities to be like Ananias. To say it simply, Ananias is discipling Paul. That's part of his testimony. I mean, I think about after I got saved, how an older gentleman just came alongside me and for years discipled me. I mean, he knew my, I told him my past. He knew it was going to take some time to work out some of that stuff, and it did. But that's a part of my testimony that I'm grateful for. Yeah, I know what you did. But more than that, I know what Christ has done. And now notice the content of what is being recounted by Paul. Paul says the righteous one spoke to him. You might already know this, but there are a lot of names for Jesus in the Bible. All the names Paul could have used to refer to Jesus. Righteous one has a particular significance for his Jewish audience. The prophet Isaiah was keen on referring to the future Messiah as the righteous one. Here's just a few places where we see that. We read in Isaiah 24, From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. And you all know this from Isaiah 53, Out of anguish of the soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Paul is saying to a bunch of Jews who are still waiting for the righteous one, that righteous one has come. An implication of Paul's word choice is that everyone listening to him is not righteous. So the unrighteousness, the unrighteous ones need to accept the righteous one. The Jews would have known Psalm 53, which Paul picks up in Romans 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Ananias' point to Paul is, I think, crystal clear, which is the same point Paul conveys in his testimony. Because they are all sinners, because Paul is a sinner, they are all in need of a Savior. They are all in need of having their sin permanently atoned for. Indeed, the way for Paul's sin to be washed away is to call on the name of the righteous one. To call upon Jesus. Try to grasp the picture of your sin being washed away. That's the, the language being used here in Acts 22. It may help you communicate your testimony of grace. Just imagine you're just like completely filthy, head to toe. What comes through my mind is that you are caked with mud everywhere. Your clothes are a mess and Mud has gotten to every crevice and crack of your body. You need new clothes. They're just not salvageable. They're such a mess. And you need, clearly need to be washed. 
In your unrighteousness, you called upon the righteous one for help. And the righteous one washed you clean from sin. And he gave you brand new clothes. Is there an unseen mud between your toes or your fingernails? Nope. All clean. And those dirty clothes you had on? Burned. You will never need them again. You see, Paul's personal recounting of salvation, once again, is not about Paul. It's about God who saved him. As far as Paul is concerned, he deserved hell. He deserved eternal separation from his maker. Without God's elect intervention, he was headlong to Gehenna. But his sins now have been washed away. Washed away. He's been made clean. That's part of your testimony as well, Christian. God has washed away your sin. Listen, testimonies aside, just for a moment, my encouragement is do not leave this room without rejoicing that God has taken the worst of you, (laughs) discarded it. It was nailed to a tree. Jesus was nailed to a tree because of your sin. But you have been made forgiven. You have been made clean. (laughs) Talk about a reason to rejoice this Advent season, right? Talk about a reason to have hope in a world where we see so much brokenness going on. This second tip is so important because it does focus our gaze and what we say upon the cross, upon Jesus. There's a third tip or trait from Paul's testimony that you can apply to yours and help you think through how to share it. You proclaim your new mission When Paul was saved, he went from working for Jews to preaching Jesus to Jews and Gentiles. (laughs) Between verses 17 to 21, we read of an interesting scene where Paul was praying in the temple and he kind of like fell into a trance. The trance seems to be similar to the trance that the prophet Isaiah went through when you read Isaiah 6. Jesus speaks to Paul in the trance. The words of Christ are clear. Paul is going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he needs to leave Jerusalem and hit the road. Now, the same is with us, right? The moment you were saved, everything changed. Everything changed. Here's what we learn from this scene. Paul receives marching orders from Jesus. When you were saved, whether it was at age 4, 14, 24, 34, 44, 54, etc., God gave you a new purpose. Your job might have not have changed, but the reason why you wake up every morning and go to your job has changed. You went from living for yourself to living for Jesus. You realize the gospel is not meant for like a select few people. There's nothing Gnostic about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is for all to hear, and God has chosen and commissioned you to tell others about what he has done for you when you are saved. 
Paul was committed to tell others about how sins are washed away through faith in the righteous one. And we have to be about that same cause. Wherever it is you go to work, whatever it is you do on a daily basis, that is your calling as well. You've been commissioned. It may look differently, but the substance is the same. Verse 22, we read Paul's Jewish audience listen to most of his testimony. Perhaps they were interested in how the Jews who persecuted Christians is now preaching about Jesus, like how'd that happen, you know? I'd be curious. Perhaps his grasp of the Hebrew language would have been spoken orally, Aramaic. Um, It could have been, that could have arrested their attention, like, wow, he's speaking our language, literally. But at the point when Paul says to the Jews that this righteous one, spoken about in Isaiah, told him that he is to go to the Gentiles to share the message of salvation, is the moment the crowd turned on Paul. If you have your Bible, look at verse 21. And he, he's talking about Jesus here, recounting the trance that he had when he was in the temple. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, up to this word, they listened to him. They were listening eagerly, like, ah, this is interesting. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. Like, imagine someone saying that to you. Away from, you need to go away from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. And here lies the problem for the Jews in this particular story. And basically, their hypocrisy. It shines. The Old Testament is replete with calls for non-Jews to know God. But the robust and clear calling of God to save Gentiles upset everyone. Why? I think the reasons are numerous. Uh, Gentiles do not have Jewish customs and traditions, right? Gentiles will not know the Hebrew uh, from the perspective of Jews. The Gentiles do not share the same history, which I would beg to differ if you are a Christian Gentile. You know, what we read about the Jewish Pharisees in the New Testament is like every other insular and exclusive group. Outsiders need not apply. In Acts 21, we read that the Jews were appalled that Greeks were brought into the temple. That was one of the charges made against Paul. You brought Greeks in here? How dare you? In general, we see once again in Acts, the gospel is for all to hear. But if that's going to be the case, there's going to be resistance. And that's what we see again. Even the way the Jews respond to Paul seem like a petulant child having a temper tantrum. <laughs> I think this was pointed out in our community group. It's like, it's unbelievable. Like throwing dust up in the air. <laughs> you didn't get a sucker. Now the fireworks come. It says in verse 23, as they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, <laughs> the, Jews had, the Jews had had it with Paul. As we back up from the reasons why Paul, why the Jews did not approve of the Gentiles being a part of their sacred covenant, we know there is resistance in our day too, but for other reasons. Good is always being 
resisted by evil. When I say good, I mean the gospel is always being resisted by evil. Darkness is constantly trying to push back against the light. God's mission, however, will prevail, but the devil does do everything it can to place landmines in the way of Christians. Which means our testimony and our opportunities to share the testimony are actually really important. We don't want to miss those opportunities. When the upheaval begins after Paul's speech, the Romans enter the tribune and take Paul away. Uh, if anything, is, anything violent is going to happen, it's going to be on the terms of the Romans. Paul is taken and he is about to be flogged, we read. But as the flogging is about to commence, Paul says he is a Roman, which keeps him safe from the flogging. Uh, in the first century, if you are a Roman and you are accused of a crime, basically you got a supposed fair trial. And so Paul's like, yeah, I'm Roman now. In the di- and we see this dialogue between this Roman soldier and Paul. He mentions it four times that he's a Roman citizen. Clearly a point to be highlighted, and I th- think it's this. There are times when Paul lays down his right for the sake of the gospel. If a right is a barrier to sharing the gospel with another person, Paul is willing to kind of lay that down. Here we see another approach to Paul's rights. Paul, as a Roman citizen, has the right to not be flogged. Paul leverages his right not because he's afraid of being persecuted. How many times has he already been persecuted in Acts? But Paul is willing to play politics for the sake of Christ. Clever guy, right? He knows that an appeal to his Roman citizenship means he'll have an opportunity to go to Rome. The great city of Rome. Now back to the main part of this sermon. Every Christian has a story to share. Every Christian has a testimony to tell. It's a story of rebellion because of sin. Sin results in separation from God. And as I already said, and as what we've seen in Acts 22, you need to tell that part of the story. You need to tell that part of the story so that a person listening could understand the depths of God's grace and mercy. The story is about amazing grace and mercy that flows from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. At the cross, the righteous one died for the unrighteous. At the cross, Jesus died to atone for sin and to wash away sin. At the cross, God reconciled his people to himself. At the cross of Jesus Christ, we see that our testimony is where we find the center of our testimony, at the cross. Without the cross of Christ, there is no testimony to share. What God has done to save needs to be shouted from the valley and the mountaintop. If the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a part of your testimony, then you know your life has been changed, right? Your allegiances have been changed. How you view your job has changed. The purpose for education changes. How you use your time has changed. How you use your money has changed. How you view your neighbor has changed. And your testimony not only highlights the grace of God poured on, poured on your life in one particular moment, that moment when you were saved, but God's grace continues to be at work in your life, which is another part of your testimony. 
the Christian life isn't just about a moment, but it is about a series of moments infused with joy and peace and hope because of Christ. As Paul begins to pivot toward Rome, his testimony is still being written. Testimony of God's ongoing grace and mercy at work in his life. And the same is with you, Christian. So all these aspects of Paul's testimony and your testimony, where does this lead us personally? Obviously, we want to go share the good news with others, but hopefully it also causes you to exalt Jesus, to bring him praise. So my encouragement to you as I close is to rejoice and exalt in your Savior. Thank him for what he has done. Praise him for the grace and mercy that has continually poured out on your life. And then go tell others what Jesus has done for your life. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.